My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. The agent was sort of telling people it was going to be offers over $90,000 at the time. And so I thought, oh, I'm in with a shot here because I've got 150 to spend. Um, so I'm in with a good shot here. And I like, got to the auction. It was packed, packed. And the thing sold for $155,000. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Karen Young, the founder of Property Zest, a Telstra Business Award winning buyers agency. We'll hear about how she's all about quality over quantity, her experiences as a nurse fostering her career today and how her parents inspired her property journey but not in the way you'd expect. Young is a busy mum of two who spends her days playing multiple roles and no two days ever look the same. I do a lot of things. I exercise, <laughs> I drive a lot, um, I analyse people's requirements and locations, I go and inspect houses, I make offers, I organise things. So I organise clients and, and agents and contracts and I talk on the phone a lot, I email a lot and I manage people. So. I pack a lot into every day and it's different every day. How would you describe yourself as a property investor? I'm pretty relaxed actually as a property investor. Um, I think over having done it for quite a number of years, you know, initially I was very stringent about what strategy I was doing and how what I was looking for and now I'm a lot more relaxed about it. I've realized that over time your strategy actually evolves and changes and morphs and a lot of that is based on where you're at in life. Um, so what I was relevant for me, you know, eight or ten years ago is not is not as important now and um and you have to adjust with those changes in your life you can't sort of you can't do a strategy that's very time intensive or money intensive when you've suddenly you know had young kids and you don't have time and money so um yeah i think i'm a lot more relaxed as an investor at the moment i'm actually looking for a property which we might talk about a bit later but um yeah, I just sort of, you know, I'm not as desperate for a deal. I can look around because I'm looking at property every day. I'm fortunate enough to, that I will stumble across an amazing deal and I'm in a position now where I can just grab it if I wanted to. Um, yeah, so it's quite a, it's a nice position to be in. 
She grew up in the northern suburbs of Melbourne and moved around Melbourne in her early adulthood before living overseas. I lived in London for about four years and then I came back to Australia. So, But yeah, essentially I'm from Melbourne, but now I'm a Queenslander through and through because there's no <laughs> way I'm going back to that cold. Look, it's a great place. I love Melbourne. I wish I could just like, sort of transfer Queensland's weather to it. She got into property somewhat begrudgingly and it took her a while to warm up to the idea of investing. Look, I've always kind of liked property, but I, to be honest with you, I was just doing what people do. I was living life and, you know, I was traveling and um, I worked and did it at bits and pieces and I didn't really seriously think about investing in property till quite late, till I was sort of about to turn 30, I think, and suddenly decided, oh, I need something in life that's like a future type thing. Um, but up until that point, I really hadn't given it a lot of thought. Um, and I think now, you know, a lot of times when you ask people advice, they say, what's the one thing you wish you could change? And it's, I wish I had started earlier. And, um, you know, I'm no different. I, should, I wish I had started earlier. Um, but alas, as long as you wake up at some point and start doing something at some point, um, that's the main thing really. So, yeah, I didn't – I really wasn't that into it until I was probably about 30. Um, and realistically, like I came back from living overseas and I realised, you know, I'd been spending money and, you know, travelling and doing all those great things. But then I realised it was time to really get started to think about something for the future uh, and buy something of my own. So I did. I bought a little flat in Melbourne. Um, it was a one-bedroom flat in um, Carnegie, actually. Um, and, you know, I did all the mistakes and I paid too much money for it and I listened to what the agent told me to offer on it and did what they said mm-hmm. and I, I did all of that. But I, even then I sort of bought that and sat on it for a bit and I didn't really um, didn't really do much seriously. I just I bought this and I sat on it and I, I still wasn't really – that into it and it wasn't until I had kids a little bit later that I then really started to learn and understand and realize that I needed to you know start setting some goals and start working towards something I just bought something early on because I felt like that was the thing you did when you're about 30 you you bought a house or a flat or something Mm. but then it wasn't yeah two years later that I actually went no hang on a minute I I need to be planning for the future here Young's parents were the driving factor in her getting involved in and understanding property but not in the way you'd think. So they weren't property investors. Um, they, you know, worked their whole lives to pay off the mortgage on the one house um, and they actually split up then and, you know, so they kind of, you know, they both have ended up now. They're both, you know, retired and on, they live on a pension. Um, they don't have investments and it was really seeing them work hard their whole lives to really end their working lives with not much to show for it other than, you know, this one house that they paid off and then had to split between them and stuff. Um, So uh, that did inspire me to actually go, well, that's not what I want to do. I don't want to work my whole life to pay off a property and then really have nothing much at the end and then end up on a pension trying to be supported by the government, which, you know, pension is not a lot of money. Mm. and it was that was the inspiration for me really getting into it. Wow. Um, so, yeah, like I said, they were inspiring but perhaps not in the way you thought. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it matters where your inspiration comes from either. Like, you know, we weren't – I didn't come from an affluent family um, 
but that inspiration still came from there. And I've got a friend of mine, um, Claire, and she was on the sh- on my, our show actually really early in the piece. And I've also had her dad on the show. And it was funny because when she grew up, her mum and dad, they invested and they bought about 10 properties all around Mount Waverley, Glen Waverley in Victoria, which is really expensive now. Mm. Um, and, like, she was inspired to invest in property from her parents investing. But, you know, essentially as long as you get there in the end, doesn't matter where you take that inspiration from. Prior to starting investing in property and before becoming a properties agent, what previous jobs did you have as well? Uh, I've had lots of jobs actually. Um, <laughs> I've sort of done 10-year stints at different careers. So um, the first thing I did out of um, out of university, I actually studied nursing and I worked as a nurse. I was an intensive care nurse for about 10 years. Wow. Um, I worked overseas as a nurse in London and, and then also in some of the major hospitals in Melbourne. Uh, and that was an amazing time. I, I loved I loved the technology of it, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, I was in intensive care and I loved all the machines that went beep um, and understanding all the physiology of people's bodies and the way that you could uh, manipulate, you know, uh, um, inspiratory pressure on a ventilator and it would change this physiology over here and things like that. So that was really cool. Um, and I did that for about 10 years. Um, and I did some study, you know, some postgraduate study in that as well. And then after that, I actually I liked all those machines that went beep so much that I decided to do um, a grad dip in information technology um, and then actually went on and did a master's in information technology. So I then worked in IT for about 10 years and actually took that knowledge I had from um, the clinical sort of side of things and worked in clinical and medical IT-related fields. Um, so I'd write software specifications for um, clinical information systems and things like that. Um, so that was really interesting. Uh, and then um, I did that for about 10 years as well. And then I um, really thought that I wanted to do something that I was really passionate about and property was my, my hobby and my passion. And at that point, I'd already started uh, the podcast, um, Everyday Property Investing. And so I was doing that and, and I wanted to make a way that I could um, turn property, my passion, into what I was doing every day. And so I looked at different, um, you know, property-related uh, occupations and in the end, I, I thought a buyer's agent would be the right thing for me. And so I'm a very analytical person um, and I like, you know, the analysis side of, of property. And so that was a really good fit. And that's when I, I started the business and um, that's been, you know, going great guns. We've been buyer's agent of the year for the last two years. Um, we've been a finalist again this year. We've, you know, won Telstra Business Awards and things like this. So it's been a really, really good ride. <laughs> Still wow. loving it. She took her IT knowledge and applied it to a property agency, showing just how transferable every skill can be. Our agency is a paperless agency and I don't know that there's any other one like that. I don't um, think there is actually. <laughs> yeah, and like all of the, we use all of these amazing IT systems and that's just having like, like everything you do leads you to somewhere else in my view. And so all of that IT knowledge, there's no way I could have set up and made this business what it is if I didn't have that knowledge. Um, yes, you can make a successful business without, you know, having IT knowledge. Mm. You can bring in that knowledge. But for me, you know, we, we're in a position where we have to start it with very little capital um, and really get it, you know, all the marketing and all that. So, you know, I made the website. I, I did all the, the videos and, um, you know, all of this sort of stuff, all the marketing, you know, I, I had the knowledge to do all that stuff. So it was really everything that you do sort of leads you to somewhere. Although it is funny, though, when clients ask, a lot of clients or potential clients will say, you know, what qualifications do you have? And the funny thing is, as a buyer's agent, there's very little qualifications 
that you actually require to work as a buyer's agent. Um, so when they say, what qualifications do you have? And I give them a list of all of these bachelors and masters and this and that, and they're all not property related at all. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, realistically, you need a certificate for in real estate to be a real estate agent. So, you know, um, sometimes life experience and, and those experiences are more important. She divulges the secret to her organization and how you can do the same. I'll give you one basic one. This is a really simple thing, but to me, it is absolutely vital. And I use this not just for, for the business and the buyer's agency. I use it for projects. So if you're doing a property-related project, so you're, you know, um, you're deciding that you're going to make your next purchase, I use a project management system called Asana. And Asana just is organizes my life. Or I organize my life in Asana. Um, and, you know, unless it's, you know, if it's in Asana, it'll get done. And it also helps me to unload the things that are all in my head so that I can actually, when I have time off, I can relax because I know I don't have to remember all these things that have to be done there in Asana. So to me, I think Asana is an amazing tool um, that you can use to, and it's basically, you know, you write to-do lists, essentially. You you know, a project management system is essentially a bunch of to-do lists to do with a project. So if you've got a project, for example, your next property purchase, you can put that in Asana and go, okay, what's the next steps I need to do to make this happen? And then when you put it in there and you put a date next to it and it's sending you an email to remind you you needed to do it, they're the things that push you forward and make you do things. So I think um, so many people say, oh, you know, I wish I had have invested or I was been looking to invest but I just get busy and all that sort of stuff. If you don't write it down and make it a task in your life, then often it just gets pushed to the side because we're all busy. Yeah. Um, so to me, Asana is an awesome tool for everyone. After she bought her first property, she didn't do anything with it until years later. I just bought it and I actually lived in it. I got a first home on a grant and I lived in it. It was just a tiny little one-bedroom um, flat. Um, and then, uh, you know, a few years later and I actually had a partner, had a baby on the way and we thought, well, we need a family home. So um, we decided to sell that property. Um, it hadn't made massive capital growth but it, but it had some. Um, but it was enough that, you know, it was enough that it leveraged just into a family home. So we bought a family home um, and I actually still own that house in Melbourne now. It's a rental property now, but um, we bought that house. And then, um, and that was when I really, after we had the baby, I really started to get involved and educate myself. So I went to a lot of um, seminars and um, you know, I did a lot of reading. I read magazines. I read books. I really, there was a couple of books I really liked. Um, Margaret Lomas's book, really resonated with me at the time. It was, I think it was How to Create an Income for Life. Yes. Um, and then I think even one of the, the Steve McKnight ones, I think How to from, Go from Zero to a Million Properties or whatever it is in two minutes. Um, <laughs> like, like, But at the time, those books really resonated with me. And the other one that I really liked was um, Robert Kiyosaki, Cashflow Quadrant. So oh, a lot yes. of people, you know, Rich Dad Poor Dad is, you know, a favorite of everyone, but I reckon Cashflow Quadrant is the best. Um, so that one, those, those were sort of inspiring books and I learned lots and lots and that was when we actually went, okay, now we're going to consciously invest in property and we actually went and joined a, like an investing group um, at the time and that was really good because we surrounded ourselves with like-minded people um, and people who knew stuff about how to do it and then we actually made a, a, um, an investment property purchase and when I say we made an investment property purchase, I did massive amount of analysis because that's, you know, I had a spreadsheet and I put all the you know, suburbs, all the suburbs in Australia in this spreadsheet wow. and I narrowed them down on vacancy rates and yields and this and that and blah, blah, blah. 
um, until I had this short list of property um, areas that fit the, the criteria and then we went and bought a property. So I bought, actually bought a property in Melton in Victoria, which is like outskirts of um, sort of Melbourne. Mm. Um, and we bought this sort of property that was a little bit um, a little bit run down and we did just a minor sort of spruce up on it and we put tenants in it and that was cash flow positive from day one and it also actually had a bit of development potential on it as well, which I didn't realise until later on. Um, so that was interesting. Um, so, yeah, we bought that and then it was a matter of I really wanted to buy sort of one a, one a, a year type thing. I had this goal in my head, 15 by 50 was my mantra. I wanted 15 properties by the time I was 50 um, and and that was my mantra. And nowadays, I, like as I said, I'm a bit more relaxed these days and I realise that it's not about the number. You don't need 15 properties and it's not about how many properties you have at all. Mm. Um, it's actually about the quality of properties or what you do and depends on the strategy you're using, like, you know, two really well-placed properties with great capital gain could set you up for life the same way that 15 properties could in a different with a different strategy. So I'm one of these, you know, one size doesn't fit all type, of, you know, many ways to skin a cat investor, I call it. Um, so I think there's many ways to make money out of property. And so we then started buying uh, roughly about a property a year. We looked at um, different strategies. So um, we looked at renovation. And we did a rena- buy, renovate, subdivide, sell um, down in Terrelgan, which is regional Victoria. Um, in that house in Melton, I went to a development seminar and I learned about development. And then I looked at one of the first things they said was, look at the properties you already have. And I thought, hey, yeah. So I looked at one and I thought, you know what, we've got that property there on a corner block with a big backyard. Why don't we see what we can do there? So sure enough, we could actually build a three-bedroom townhouse on the back of it. We didn't build it, mind you, but we did go down the process of getting all the approvals and everything, and then we on-sold with the approvals. Oh, that's um, good. So with the DA yeah, not to, I don't think it was a massive profit in it, to be honest with you, because I just don't think, I don't know why people would give you an approval to build a three-bedroom townhouse on the back of a 450-square-metre block. Like, oh, that's wow. tiny. That's... But, you know, these are all part of the learning. Um, and so, yeah, in the end, we ended up with sort of, I don't know, I think we had about five or six down in Melbourne um, before we moved up to Queensland. And then we actually looked at, um, obviously, we were starting a business and so we decided to sell down a few to raise capital for the business. Um, so we sold a few off down there and we kept a few. And um, since we've been up here, we've also bought we've bought our own uh, place of residence and that's actually had really significant capital growth in it, which has been great. Um, I always believe when you're buying your own home, that's a really, that's a good tip, is you need to think of it as an investor because it's a massive investment and you can make, you can make significant wealth off your family home um, if you choose right. So, um, yeah, we, we, we chose pretty well, I think, and we, we've got some good gains in that. We've bought property in our self-managed super fund up here as well. Mm. And, um, yeah, so we've got still got some property in Melbourne and we've got some property up here in Queensland and Brisbane as well. So Great. that's in a nutshell. That's very interesting. And how many properties do you currently have in total? We've got two on a block of land in Melbourne. We've got two up here and we're just looking for another one. It's really important for people to have a goal and we had that mantra 15 by 50. Mm-hmm. I don't really subscribe to that anymore. Um, to me, it's all about, uh, you know, what you do and what your strategy is and stuff like that. So at the moment, you know, I'm looking for a property now that has development potential to put townhouses on it. So, um, you know, there's a variety of things you can do, but I guess one of my tips is don't get hung up on the numbers of things. Like a lot of people can say, oh, you know, I own, you know, at one point we had, like I said, I think we had six or seven. Um, but realistically, the bank owned a lot of that. 
So, and, and they were in sort of lower budget areas in some of them where the capital growth wasn't massive. So, you know, one well-placed property with a lot of equity in it is worth more than 10 that the bank owns 90% of. Mm. Uh, you know, so you've got to have a, have a think about that. It's not, don't get too hung up on the numbers of it, I guess. Young uses what she calls a morphing strategy as she applies new criteria to check off the more she learns. With every purchase I make, I actually reevaluate what is the point of this purchase, what does this purchase need to do in, more, in my portfolio. And I think that's an important thing because, you know, earlier on I would have said my strategy is cash flow uh, positive property because that's what it was when I first started. I wanted 15 cash flow positive properties by the time I learned what my strategy was. But then as I got up to, you know, five or so, I started to think, hang on a minute, these are cash flow positive, but they're realistically making very small sums, and I'm going to need a truckload of these to actually retire on this. Um, what I actually need out of this is growth. I need some growth, and it was the growth in the properties. There was a couple of them that grew really well, and I thought, you know, it was a bit of an aha moment because you leveraged off the growth to buy more. The cash flow was interesting and and helpful. And the fact that it wasn't draining your finances, but it was realistically it was the growth that was leveraging me into more. So I needed to find some growth property as well. And so that's my strategy now is to assess, reassess my strategy for every single purchase. So right now at this point in time, like my last purchase was a um, you know, middle ring suburb in Brisbane. It's a negatively geared property. Well, actually it's not because it's in my super fund. It's actually neutrally geared. Um, but it's, 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 a, it's a growth property. It's not one that I plan to make cash flow out of at all. It's a growth property. And obviously in Superfund, you can't leverage off the growth, but you know I'm, it's my retirement plan. So my next property that I'm looking at is actually a, an equity creator. So I actually want to create a chunk of money out of it or potentially cash flow. I still haven't decided on that, but either way, we're going to build something, make, find something that we can put, um, have, sit on it for a few years, put townhouses on it, and then we'll either sell that off for profit or we'll sell part off and keep the other and essentially get, you know, a free townhouse for ourselves that gives us cash flow. So, you know, my strategy is funny because it's not it's not a strategy as such. It's a, it's a, The strategy is to reassess your strategy every single purchase. Young's strategy is based on her current situation and evolves based on what her needs and wants are at the time. I think that moment made me more open-minded as an investor because like I said, early on I was like, it's all about the cash flow, it's all about the cash flow and that, that resonated from Margaret Lomas's books you know, and Steve McKnight's books. It was all about that and then, and I was always a bit poo-pooing all the whole the negative gearing people but negative gearing isn't a strategy. Negative gearing is like a, a tax break. That's mm. what that is mm. but the strategy there is capital growth. Um, that's, you know, if you're going after a negatively geared property, you're going after capital growth. You're, surely you're not just chasing negative gearing for the sake of it. Yeah. Um, that doesn't make sense. And a lot of people don't understand that. Um, so I think that aha moment was not just that I needed a growth property. It was, hang on a minute, I can't just stick with this one strategy of cash flow positive property forever because that's just not going to pan out unless I get a whole truckload of these and I can't see that working. I'm going to need to change and I need to change and evolve. And that was where my mind opened to a range of different things. And that's where I am now. So, you know, I, I'm still open to doing renovation and selling. We did a, a reno flip project a couple of years ago up here. Um, I'm open to development. I'm open to still buy and hold. It just depends on what I need at that point in time. I think it's always looking at what you, what you have in your portfolio, what you need next to take the next step. 
and then that's what you go for. And then you reassess again after that. I think it's um, to just to sort of go, this is my strategy and I'm blindly following it without flexibility can, you know, sometimes is not successful. Coming up after the break, Young reveals the people and books that have inspired her. I haven't really latched onto one person and think they're the messiah or anything. Um, I tend to look at, you know, what am I doing at this point in time and then who who can help me with that. The way her business works in its personalized service. We're very collaborative, so we actually involve the client at each phase um, so that they, because I think the best person to make financial decisions for yourself is you. She shares her thoughts on the Brisbane market and which price point is moving fastest. You know, we're Brisbane at the moment. I think we've had significant growth for quite a while. I think we're we are still growing and we're still very busy on the ground. It's still multiple offer situations when you're trying to buy properties. It's still very competitive. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey property investor, is your cash or equity currently earning you 1 to 2% per annum sitting in the bank? What if I said to you that you can do better? To find out more, simply register your interest to become a money partner at propertyinvestory.com. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest to get a higher return with low risk on their money for 6 months. Register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. Although she tries to see the positive in every situation, Young still has a property experience that she wishes she could go back and do differently. I'm not a person who dwells on, oh gee, that was a terrible thing, a terrible purchase that happened or whatever. I sort of take it all as learning and then move forward. So to try and think of what's the worst moment, I don't have really negative feelings toward anything to be honest. Um, It just was what it was and I learned something from it. Perhaps the thing that I look back upon with the most regret is probably when it's when you start thinking about the things you didn't buy. Um, so it's not the things I bought that went wrong because like I said, you know, I've had a few little bits and pieces, little blips, but I haven't really lost any major money. I haven't lost any money actually from anything, um, which is the, one of the great things about property. <laughs> um, and But I think it's the things I didn't buy and I wish I had of that were perhaps some of the worst sort of things. If I, and so I tend not to dwell on them too much. Um, <laughs> So, for example, the first property I ever tried to buy was a one-bedroom flat in Mentone in Victoria, and it was lit, you know, two-minute walk down to the beach. And it was the agent was sort of telling people it was going to be offers over ninety thousand dollars at the time. And so I thought, oh, I'm in with a shot here because I've got one hundred and fifty to spend. Um, so I'm in with a good shot here. And it like got to the auction, it was packed, packed, and the thing sold for one hundred and fifty-five thousand dollars. Um, so this was, you know, in the days of when they tell you, bait you in with certain money and then the auction sells for so much more. If I had bought that, the money I could have made on that. And likewise, there was another property in a really good suburb, Bayside suburb in Melbourne. And I remember I was going to buy it to live in. Um, and I would have got a first home on a grant. I could have lived in it and stuff. And it, it got up to about $350,000. And at the time I was like, oh, that is so much money, so much money. Um, you know, and I was buying it by myself, so I'm like, I'm going to have this massive mortgage and blah blah blah. And so I pulled out of this this purchase. I, I didn't get. I was in it, sort of in the running with someone else who was competing for it. But essentially, I, I stopped at 350. And if I look at what that property was worth now, I would just have to 
I don't know, I'd have to crawl in a corner somewhere. (laughs) So, but, you know, at the time, you know, and at the time I had no kids, I had a good income, I could have supported that mortgage. And if I had, I would have made a lot of money, but I didn't. I didn't buy it. Instead, I bought out of suburban cash flow positive by $3 a week property. And in hindsight, probably not the best move. Um, So I think it's the things that I didn't buy that are probably some of the worst moments but um, but like I said, I don't dwell on my. You know, you take it as learning. You mm. you know, you do what's right for yourself at the time, or what you think is right for yourself at the time, and you just have to move forward. What are you most excited about in your property investing currently? Because I run a business now, and I, I don't, you know, I'm flat out busy for a start. But I don't, I haven't bought property as frequently as I as I used to. Mm. Um, and you know, the last project we did was a couple of years ago now in our super fund. And, you know, a couple of years ago, we did a Renault flip project. So it's been a little while, I, I feel like anyway. <laughs> um, and yeah, but I've just been sorting out some numbers and um, we're, we're back in the market. So I'm a bit excited. I, I get excited about the chase and and the potential and looking at something with potential. So I've been having some fun looking at some sites with, with the development potential. And really, um, I've done a lot of education-based stuff around development in the last two years or so. Um and now really putting some of that into play in finding and, and assessing sites um, for development. So that's that's what I'm excited about at the minute, I think. Wow. <laughs> and, that, and the business, obviously, our business is, you know, we're helping so many people. It's so exciting to, like, we would buy at least one property a week. Um, you know, and some weeks, you know, a couple of weekends ago I went out, I bought three properties on one, one day, and it's so exciting. I still get excited <laughs> about buying property. They're not all for me, obviously, but yeah. if I, I'm sort of, you know, get, sending that excitement to the clients as well, so that's really good. Once she decided to invest in property, nothing could hold her back. I'm that sort of person. If I decide I'm going to do something, I'm actually quite determined. Um, but I think the thing holding me back was just, uh, it just I was busy. I was too busy doing living life, and I wasn't really thinking about the future. But once once I knew that that's what I wanted to do, then I don't think anything really held me back after that. Did you seek any mentors to help you with your property investing journey as well? I haven't really latched onto one person and think they're the messiah or anything. Um, I tend to look at you know what am I doing at this point in time, and then who who can help me with that. So. You know, there's, Margaret Lomas's book was was really good, and that was helpful. And then I became involved in that property investing group, um, and that was really good. That was what I needed at the time. And then after a while, I kind of outgrew that group a little, and then I needed something else. So I, you know, latched onto the next thing that was helpful to me at that point in time. So there's been a range of people. Um, I think Troy Harris down in Melbourne, when I first got interested in development, I went to one of his development days. I think it's called Rookie Developer. And that was really interesting, spurred me into uh, an interest in development. Lisa and Dean Parker. Oh, yes. And they, they, got, um, they did a renovation product and it was an amazing product. It really was a fantastic product. And they've got an amazing success story if, you, you know, if you're ever looking for people mm. to speak to. Um, they now run a very successful development company here in Queensland. Um, and I actually went over to their house and interviewed Elise Parker. Like after all these years, she was like this, you know, wow, amazing story. And I actually got to meet her. It was really exciting. <laughs> it was like meeting somebody's favourite. Their Renault stuff was really, really good, really good quality stuff. 
and um, I bought their product and I went and I put it into play. I, I literally did it, what they said, and I followed it and I learned so much from it and, you know, we made a profit out of that project. Um, so they were really helpful. So I think in, like in terms of mentors, I tend to move to like what is interesting and what am I looking at at this point in time, who has done that, and I could read their books, I could talk to them, I could, you know, make contact with those people. So I've had a range of mentors at different points in time. Jane Sachs-Smith's got a really good renovation um product out like an education product if you're interested in renovation and the reason I like her product is because it's not just focused on making a house look pretty it's more focused on choosing the right property location the one that's going to work the numbers it's it's more focused on that because renovation isn't about making the house look pretty it's about making a profit um, and so that's a really good good product for that. What's the best advice you've received for property investing? I think the best advice I've received it's sort of a bit um, – it's a bit generic actually. It's applicable to anything, not just property investing. But maybe three things I can think of. One is maintain your integrity. So there can be a lot of shonkiness in anything to do with making money. There can be a lot of shonkiness and a lot of you know dodgy people around and there's spruikers and there's people who are there to, to make money from you. Um, but I think you need to be somebody who, who always maintain your integrity. So even in, a, in an individual deal – you don't need to to do wrong by people to to benefit yourself. You can have a win-win. I really believe in that, and I think you need to maintain your integrity. Um, number two, I think people are everything. So this is a relationship business, real estate, um, and so you need to seek out the people you need, whether that's just because, like we talked about, you, you need a mentor, you need advice. Seek out the people that are going to help you. Um, or whether you are looking for deals, seek out the agents who work in that area and make a relationship with them. Or you're looking at a development sites, seek out relationships with a town planner and a building designer. And, and you know, it's a team sport, really. So people are everything. And then the last thing I, I think is um, to believe in yourself. I think that you need to... Um, to believe in, in, you know, I can make things happen. And that's something I'm a person, I, I don't, the whole I can't do this mentality I'm more of a how can I do this or how can I make this happen person and I think you need to be that sort of person to, to make things happen for yourself. So there's a few bits of advice. Although she can't give financial advice, she can help with strategies but recommends you don't put all your advice eggs into one basket. It's a tricky area as a buyer's agent. Um, you are a real estate agent and you can't give financial advice to people. Um, in saying that, there are some buyer's agencies who do provide written financial advice to people and I, perhaps they have a financial services license, I'm not sure, but we don't provide written um, strategies for people. And I think that often is the hardest part when you're getting started is you just, if someone could tell you what to do, you would just do it. If someone said, do these things and you will be successful in property, you would just do it. But finding the person who can give you the advice on what to do is very, very hard in my experience at personally and also with clients. So I often get phone calls from people or emails from people saying, hey, I'm looking for someone who can help um, to be my mentor, to give me advice on what to, what to do. And most people out there are giving you advice from a, a vested interest um, so, you know, there's a lot of people who write you a strategy, but they are promoting off-the-plan property, for example. And so they'll write you a strategy on how to buy six off-the-plan properties in the next five years. Um, but that's, you know, they have a vested interest in obviously selling you that idea. Um, so to find a person who is completely 
um, independent to that is difficult. And same with us. Like we, you know, we're advice agency. We, we, we can't give financial advice. I do talk to people though about this stuff usually on the phone in an informal way mm. because honestly, I think the best person who can decide what you need to do is you, but you in conjunction with a bunch of professionals. Um, so I think you need to talk to your accountant. You need to talk to your broker. You need to talk to um, someone who's got some experience in investing. Um, that can be really difficult because everybody's experience are individual, so they come at it with their own biases as well. So it's a it's a really really tricky one. So when client comes to us and says, "Okay, I've got this money. I you know what should I buy? What's my strategy?" I do have a talk to them about let's have a talk about where you're at in life. Let's have a talk about um, what your goals are. You know, do you want to, are you trying to get out of the workforce in the next two years? Are you planning on working for the next 10 to 15 years? Are you looking for, do you need something with high cash flow? Is it the growth that you're looking for? So we try and nut out what the goals are for this particular person. Um, and then from there, we can then make a plan for the next purchase. Like I said, I'm, I'm sort of a person who believes in flexibility of strategy. So we can nut out what you need at the moment, but that's not necessarily what you need in 10 years time. So I think I think the long term here is a ten year plan strategy. Oh, at a high level, it's okay. At a detailed level, I think you're probably too you're too far out to be doing detailed level analysis. Young's services differ based on each individual client's needs. They offer full buyers agency service, but can also provide partial services and variations. People come to us and say, you know, I have this amount of money. I want to buy a property, you know, they often, sometimes I'll say to us, you know, I'm looking to buy a number of properties in the next few years, I'm, I'm in the workforce, I've got a good job, I'm probably going to be in the workforce another 10 years. So once we nut out that sort of stuff, we can work out, okay, well, maybe you've got a good income, um, you can support something that potentially may cost you a little bit of money to hold, maybe a growth property is a good thing at this point in time, perhaps, you know, when you drop down, you know, if it's a couple, they may be looking to have kids in the near future, they're going to drop down to one wage, maybe it's a different style of property at that point. Um, so we talk to them about what they want and then we establish what are, what's our criteria for this purchase, this next purchase, based on what we where we think you're heading, what your goals are. So then once we nut that out, we, we come up with a criteria. So we have a brief, it's a one pager that says, yep, this is what we're after. And then we go into a location analysis phase where we actually analyse and say, okay, based on your your brief and your budget, here's what, um, here, here's the areas that we would suggest. And we actually give them a few ideas, a few recommendations. So it might be north side versus south side or it might be east versus here or it might be units on the inner city versus houses on the outer suburban area. Um, and we actually do a, a, a report that's specific for what they are trying to achieve and then we talk about it with them we're very collaborative so we actually involve the client at each phase um so that they because i think the best person to make financial decisions for yourself is you and so my job is to arm you with the information you need so you can make an informed decision plus the benefit of our knowledge um and experience mm. so once the person chooses a target location then we actually get into the search phase so we search for the property um you know negotiate get something under contract walk them through the, the contract phase, help them out with the building pest, maybe renegotiate the price, do pre-settlement inspection and then help them with the management of the property. So it's a full end-to-end service mm. and then we have variations on that service where we offer just partial parts, uh, parts of that. Maybe just someone rings us up and says, oh, I'm looking, at, I'm putting an offer in on this property, can you in, do an inspection for us? So we have an inspection-only service 
Um, we have an inspector negotiate service. So there's variations, but essentially it's all a variation of that, that full level service and parts of it that suit people. Her company provides these services to all buyers, whether they be local, interstate or even overseas. We deal predominantly with investors. Um, in saying that, we do we do home buyer purchases quite a bit. We've got a couple on the go at the minute. Um, and mostly they'll be interstate investors from Melbourne, Sydney, South Australia, Western Australia. Um, a lot of people who are, you know, away working perhaps in the mines or away working overseas, a lot of expats who want to buy back at home. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we deal a lot with people remotely. Young reveals her thoughts on the competitive Brisbane market and how to some buyers, 400 square metres seems more like an acre. It has been a growth market here for that time. A lot of people are just getting on board with that and so we do get the phone calls at the now and again that you're like oh I've heard Brisbane's about to take off <laughs> and I think Brisbane's actually been moving for quite some time so if you're on a property clock look every it's funny I was at a meeting not that long ago of buyers agents Brisbane based buyers agents and people talked about the property clock and where they think it's at and 10 people there 10 different views on where it was at so that was really interesting um, and no one knows these things except for in hindsight so we're all talking about, you know, trying to pick the top of the market, like trying to pick the top of the share market. You can only really do it in hindsight. Um, you could do your best guesses, but realistically, no one knows. Um, they're just they're just guessing. Um, and so, you know, where Brisbane is at the moment, I think we've had significant growth for quite a while. I think we're we're still growing and we're still very busy on the ground. It's still multiple offer situations when you're trying to buy properties. It's still very competitive. Um, but at some point in time. I think that that growth is probably starting to slow. That doesn't mean it's going backwards, like houses are losing value. It means the growth is slowing, and a lot of people mix those two things up. So you hear that the growth is slowing, and they're like, oh, Chris Brisbane's going backwards. No, it's not. It's still mm. growing. Yes. It's just not at the heat of that flame, yeah. you know. No, um, no. So I think, you know, it's going to slow. Um, whether it takes six months to do that, 12 months to do that, whether, you know, I don't know. Um, certainly when the election was on last year, bang, everything stopped for a month while we all waited for <laughs> what happened to negative gearing. Um, but, yeah, that, that's why it's very busy. It's very competitive out there, particularly in the markets that um, the bread and butter sort of markets between about you know, 300 and 800,000 really busy. Yeah, we get clients who are just, you know, I have clients ring me up and say, well, we're looking to buy a, a townhouse in Brisbane and I'll say, okay, what's your budget? And I'll say 900000 <laughs> And it makes me laugh because you can get a really good house in Brisbane for 900000 um, And likewise, I, yeah, I have a client who um, we bought a property for and it was on a 400-square-metre block and I said, well, look, it's a small block. Um, and she, she came up to look at She's like, this is acreage. <laughs> like, it was 400 metres, so square metres, and for us that's, that's a small block. Very One of the nice. problems that people face with that, Tyrone, is that they um, – they come down and they overpay. Sydney investors overpay for things because they're just like, oh my god, that is such a bargain. <laughs> and I pay 20, 30 grand more than what it's worth. Yeah. And stop that, people. Young's personal habits help her to succeed both in business and at home. I think list making is the thing. So I, I spoke um, in our earlier discussion about Asana, the uh, project management system and the task management system. But I'm a massive list maker, and that includes like goals. So actually setting down, sitting down and writing goals and putting them somewhere, like documenting them. I make lists and I make goals and I think those are the things. If you keep doing those things, then you will keep moving forward. Um, 
But it's really easy to go, oh, I want to buy a property this year. And then off you go to work and off you go home and then you're looking after your kids and you're going away on a holiday. And, and like just to say I want to buy a property, it, does, it doesn't happen because you said that. It happens because you made a, you know, you made a commitment and then you took consistent action toward it. So to me, um, being a list maker or, and a goal setter is something that's made me successfully in, in business and personally as well. Thank you to Karen Young, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. And if you love the show and are ready to get serious about investing your money to get a low risk, high return, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a money partner. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest their money for a short 6 months. To register interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, Visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.